0: pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you might have a view about this, but um, you've probably doctrinally very, very sound. Maybe you're not. But who's in and out of God's family? Like, who do you think would you be comfortable associating with and worshipping with? And who would you rather be down the road or a very long place away? And what might God think about that? So the theme this evening is about, about favourites and God not having favourites. Some of you might be able to, to help me. We do this at all sorts of, um, we do all sorts of choosing and choices. If I mentioned to you an odd box, would anyone know what I was talking about this evening? A couple of you might know what we're talking about this evening. For the uninitiated who haven't lived very much this same, we'll tell you what an odd box is. It's a, it's a box of fruit or vegetables that uh, the supermarkets didn't want. It'll be all different shapes and sizes and colours, and it, it just simply didn't make the cut, basically. So someone's got this business that they send it to people like me who'll pay good money for things that look a bit weird, out of shape, that no one else once. The nutritional value's still the same, but it just didn't and wouldn't have made the cut. Maybe it was a glut of this sort of stuff, and we don't want too many of that sort of vegetable or fruit around here. Now, you might be appalled that people would think about fruit and vegetables in that way, but you know what's coming now. How about if it's a human being? How about that person doesn't fit round here? How about that person's always felt like the odd one out, needing to put in an odd box or worse? How about being in a society where it seems to breed attitudes like that, have world wars over things like that? How about the Second World War? How about theories with genetics? Very, very clever people who do things like eugenics that that, want to filter out the odd ones and the different ones. It's quite worrying, isn't it? That we believe, sorry, we're part of a world that wants to do these sorts of separations. So within that context, verse 34, Peter's speaking, and it might help to have a Bible because there's a bit that I'm going to be saying in the middle that you might go to sleep if you're not following. And I don't want you to go to sleep. It has happened before. I was sharing it a little bit earlier. It's hard to believe that people would dream of going to sleep in anyone's sermon, but it has happened. And I'll tell you about it a little bit later. Actually, when it happened in the book of Acts, the person ha, fell out a window and died. So make sure this evening, if you go to sleep, you're not sitting on a windowsill. Okay, we progress. And um, 34, I now realise that God does not show favoritism, but listen to this, accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. So I think it's total love and acceptance and inclusion, but if you don't hear this anywhere else, I think it comes with a condition. So there's things that we have to do to be included, but God's heart is to include absolutely everyone. And Jesus' mission project, what he did, is powerful enough to include everyone. I've just been thinking about this and sort of the, some of the separations that we make. There's probably, actually, I'll put one or two football supporters around here, but in certain cities at the moment, it probably matters whether you prefer to wear red or blue? Does it matter to anyone here what football shirt color people wear and whether you would have anything to do with anyone in Manchester at the moment that's probably a little bit, I'm not gonna say, themselves uh, because they like blue. Anyway, what about um, denominations? And so we should have probably done a filter on the door on the way in just to check your credentials. Whether you've had the right sort of teaching, come from the right sort of denomination. And again, Christians, sad as it might seem, actually do this. We decide who's in and who's out, who believes the right thing or not. And what about when it comes to nationality? So I don't need to explain. Or politics, or social background, or age or abilities, or inabilities, or gender, or sexuality. Peter says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. And again, let me stress, there's something that we need to do. accepts us but we need to revere him and in the power of the Holy Spirit learn to do what's right and we're a work in progress. So I'll be very surprised if there's anyone here tongue in cheek that's got it all sorted. Jesus in his life and ministry modelled radical engagement Alongside, alongside a call to radical holiness. And we're going to come back to this time and time again. Now today's Bible focus is on Acts 10. If you've got it, um, it might help. I'm going to be quoting quite a few verses, but I build this section of the sermon as uh, four days, four days that transform the mission of the church. Four days that transform the mission of the church. So, Day one, Cornelius' vision. Acts 10, chapter 1. He's a Roman centurion living in Caesarea. Verse 2 and verse 31. He was prayerful, he was devout, he was generous, he was God-fearing. Gentiles were not in the same league as Jews. So if you line them up, he'd have thought he was the unchosen one. Verse 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And bear in mind here that there is an angelic vision, but this is not the first time that this um, outsider had been encountered by God or God had ministered to him because of what I've just said. He was prayerful and generous. And he tells um, Cornelius to send for the apostle Peter in Joppa And you can imagine him not feeling worthy to approach someone like that who'd been Jesus' best friend, if you like, and had this association. But he does it and he sends a couple of people, two of his servants and one devout soldier. So again, this is a puzzle, isn't it? These are non-Jews, a devout soldier. God, the Holy Spirit's already been at work. So that's day one. Day two, Peter's dream about At verse 9, about noon in Joppa, Peter was hungry, falls asleep in a trance during a time of prayer. Anyone else do that? Anyone feel guilty about doing that? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I do that, and I'm learning not to feel guilty about doing that. At least I was trying to engage with God. And who's to say, sorry, this is an aside, who's to say the Spirit's not awake, um, like here, at work, in our sleep, when I properly get out of the way? And maybe God's more chance of ministering to people when I'm complete, or me, when I'm completely out. Anyway, we won't go there. So, it's a strange dream of a sheep coming down with heaven with all sorts of animals, and he'd gone to sleep hungry, He's had a food dream. I hadn't spotted that before. He's dreaming about food, but what was being served up on this sheet, this platter, was certainly nothing that he was going to eat because he was a good Jew, a devout Jew. He was going to eat this unclean, dodgy stuff, but the Lord challenges him. He says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter, uh, Peter replied, for I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I'm a good Jude. Haven't you noticed? The Lord says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And um, as Olivia was already praying before, uh, God needed to do this thing three times because Peter, like me, like you, was probably a bit slow on the uptake to get when God was trying to communicate with him. He's understandably a bit bit puzzled. This is going to be a radical change in his thinking, a radical change in his practice, a radical change in his friendship groups. It's going to change absolutely everything. Um, As this is happening, verse 23, Cornelius' messengers arrive, and they say, I'm staying at your house or staying with you. He invites them in. It's like a sleepover. Has anyone done one of those? So it's having this sleepover with people that shouldn't really be in the same space or sitting at the same table. Anyway, sleepover. Day three is not complicated. They're just on the road a very long time. Peter decides to go with them. Why is that significant? We had to put himself out big time To associate with people that he knows that his friends and friendship group would think were really, really dodgy. Has Peter lost the plot? Anyway, travels through the night. We're at day four, they arrive. Verse 24, they arrive at Caesarea, um, at Cornelius' house. And Cornelius is obviously very excited about this. He's told everyone. So if Peter thought he was going to be able to do this secretly, he's got absolutely no chance at all. Everyone's there to see this particular thing. What's a little bit awkward, Peter comes in, and yeah, he must have, I don't know, like Peter's done Acts 2. Have you read that? It's like, whoa, thousands of people come into faith, and the Holy Spirit sort of, yeah, wow! it's easy for church leaders, isn't it? Probably Peter the saint to feel a little bit proud but here when um, Cornelius bows at his feet, he knows this is completely wrong. Please don't do that. I'm so grateful for this. If anyone um, could have had people bowing to him, Peter's probably right up there. Don't do that. Reserve this for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be very careful who we hero worship, and we what we bow our knee to in front of Jesus. And I don't know whether that applies to anyone here, but just stop it. Get up and make sure that you're pointing toward Jesus if you're going to do that sort of thing. Anyway, moving on, Peter um, had, uh, before he'd even got properly introduced to all the guests, verse 28. He explains how irregular it is for him to be deigning them with his presence. Like they, they, they shouldn't have been having a chat, basically. Uh, but because of his vision, a revelation from God, he came without objection. Verse 29, this is sort of quite key, quite an important question. Uh, Peter to Cornelius, why have you sent for me? Why have you sent for me? Cornelius fills in the background. Um, he responds immediately to a God prompting. And he simply just wants Peter to speak to them, to preach the gospel to them. He's like all ears. I dream of being in a... Sorry, I'm not going to say any more. But I dream of being in the setting in our culture like Durr, where people who've had nothing to do with the way of faith would be gathering their friends and all ears to hear the gospel message. We can pray that that would happen in our lifetime. It's a simple request, which he gladly obliges, but nothing could have prepared Peter for what happened when he explained the gospel. So Peter, anointed by the Holy Spirit was there to minister to them. And recounts Jesus, who we know was full of the Holy Spirit after his baptism, who preached in words and actions. And how he and others, Peter and others, were eyewitnesses to everything that happened uh, to Jesus, his death and resurrection. It's like so simple. We tell this truth time and time again, But it does have power. We don't have to change the story. Peter doesn't have to change the story. He's actually seen this. And they say, actually, after his resurrection, I actually ate with Jesus. And we know uh, from Peter's life that he didn't just just sort of stop there. He was was, um, faithful. Wasn't Peter the one that was crucified upside down, never denying that he'd been with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the Saviour? Of the world, As he explained, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, verse 44. And he must have been astonished. I'm going to read it to you. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter's response, well, what's stopping us baptising these people? And that's quite a big step for them to want to do that. Very, very shocking. What's yours and my criteria for people being, I want to say a card-carrying follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I reckon if I saw someone praising Jesus and filled with the Spirit, and speaking in tongues, and completely focused on him, that would probably count. And if you come across anyone like that in this church that hasn't been baptised, I'd love to baptise them. Anyway, back to the theme. God doesn't show favouritism. So boundaries have been moved about religious uh, cleanliness, and um, who the insider and who the outsider is. And back to verse 34. God doesn't show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and dares to do what's right. And just before I move on, just hold on to this theme and these principles of, um, that the early church are now modelling to us, which Jesus modelled to us, of radical engagement. Engagement with people that were different, Engaged with people that up to now would have been outside the family of God. But also, and we'll come back to this in the summer, the call to radical holiness. a so God, when we've encountered him, who begins a good work and continues it to completion. So a few thoughts. First, um, this passage is about, um, about God primarily and a God who speaks. It's also about... The people of God, or one or two in the people of God, who actually uh, take the time out to listen and pay attention. So that, I don't know, I, I like the idea that God speaks. I'm not so good at listening. So maybe the prayer for me is, Lord, help me to listen a bit more attentively and help me to be more courageous if I do hear your word to dare to put it into practice, and I'll leave you to wonder. Um, If God lowered a sheet this evening um, that was to bring you challenge, it might not be a load of food or animals, but what would be in the sheet that would make you have a little bit of a rethink about your attitudes? What would bring a challenge? Actually, we all often as preachers, we do the negative stuff. What if what came down in the sheet was something really affirming? Would you be able to receive that? Secondly, the Gentiles' openness to the gospel. i was sort of a little bit jealous of this. I think I've just given that 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 clue, um, like what's it like in Surrey, or the UK, or Claygate, and um, some of you will probably have been listening to the news this week or reading reputable newspapers, headline statements. Uh, basically, spiritually, um, the. Um, UK's going down the plug hole. Did anyone get that one this week? It wasn't probably quite worded like that, was it? But there's a league table, and actually I was surprised who was near the bottom, and I was surprised who was above us, but if it's a premier league table, we are battling relegation here, whoops, whoops, and we're going to be out, number five near the bottom, and I was looking at the stats, and I think this really surprised me, and I'm not making any judgments here on any people of any nationality, because I've always looked up to the Koreans, but Like as a prayerful nation, but your nation, like ours, is near the bottom of the league table with China and other places like that. So if that doesn't make us want to pray, I know it does, make us want to pray and to cry out to God, I don't know what does. This is my prejudice here. What I was really disappointed about is France came higher on the league table (laughs) than us. You see, I've always had this view of France that they're a godless nation that try to do away with God. But when we shouldn't compare and contrast. But that's completely punctured my pride on this one. And it calls us to prayer and intercession. I do think that God is stirring something, but we need to pray. Will you join us in praying that this climate change is Moving on. Then there's a the thing about prayer. And in both these situations, we've got Cornelius that was devout and he was praying. We've also got Peter, who went, he probably went to sleep praying. But he's obviously praying quite a lot as well. And this is a message for me, as well as you. Um, if we're not a people of prayer and I need God to help me with this, but actually live the prayer, our life being a prayer, we're unlikely to see um, more of, we were singing it, I think, earlier, about the goodness of God. Were we singing this, or was this this morning? Let me do a positive spin on it. We're likely to see more of the goodness of God if we pray, but our prayers, and I'm going to share in a few things, don't exempt us from pain and suffering. We can know the goodness of God even in our struggles and our suffering. So it was four days that caused radical change in the way that we do church. For me, it normally takes God a lot longer than four days to get any change out of me. Peter, um, this same Peter in Acts 2, and we'll get it next week because it's Pentecost said after he was in the middle of his sermon in Acts 2, when all these people came to faith, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And I'd like to put it to us, people that we hadn't even imagined that would respond But I do think it's important that what's been peddled here might be completely inclusive and embracing, but it's not cheap grace. It comes with a call for a response. Repent and be baptised. Right, to close, um, some stories about the work of the Holy Spirit in ministry in the last few weeks that I can share with you where I've seen God at work crossing boundaries and i'm just one example of where this is happening so it might be happening in many of your lives and if it's not i'd like to suggest that it could now i've got a privileged position of being a vicar and some of them are around my role but i think god presents holy spirit god opportunities to cross boundaries for all of us so the first one um, I've been off, sort of, a couple of weeks, certainly not around work, and I came back on thurs- Thursday. We had the staff away day, which was brilliant, on Wednesday. Um, like, there's a lot of things to do, and I've been asked lots of things that I have to give decisions about, and I think I got to um, mid-afternoon, and I wasn't quite screaming inside, but I said to the people in the office, I need a break. Like, I've not even done my sermon yet for Sunday. I had a funeral on Friday, So they thought that was a reasonable thing, that I had a little bit of a break. As soon as I had a little bit of a break, I get a phone call from the office um, saying there's someone that's come to church that um, is not in a great place and really needs to see a vicar. So I'm reading about radical inclusion and things like that, and all of a sudden, someone's coming to the church in need. Well, what do I say? Just buzz off. Go to another church. I didn't say that. But you come, and, and this person, there, were, there was a, a, um, a man and, and a woman in the end, there was, there was two. And they described their life, that they go forward a few paces and everything seems to knock them back on every single front. And, and I can't give too much away. But actually, they were desperate. God had spoken them, prompted them. They, they need to go to the church. The church is where someone will help you. And ha, the vicar might even help. Like, didn't they know the vicar was me? And, um, but what do you do in that situation? Well, you can't do very much other than say, I can't solve all their problems. or are a bit cagey about some of them. You just, Well, let's just wait before God and see... What he does I think the last time they'd been in church was probably for Charlie King's funeral, and they wouldn't normally come to the church. But in that time and I'm not told them to do anything God does something very significant in the man's life that changes how he feels on the inside and the weight is lifted off him. And so they're very thankful, and I say, "Look, you don't need me to do that." You can ask God yourself. And they said, well, we don't know how to do that. Will you tell us how to do that? So it's quite simple, isn't it? So if you're feeling weary and heavy, just pause for a few moments and just call out to Jesus, the living God, and invite him to come into your life and give you peace and to lift this burden. So I don't know whether I gave enough hints about how to do ordinary speak to God, which is the prayers for our hearts, but they leave differently. And I pray, God, the Holy Spirit, definitely at work, maybe not yet followers of the Lord Jesus that I would understand. The second thing, and I don't know whether I mentioned this in, in church before, but I, I might have done in certain but I used to give a school run, To my two youngest children, we've got four children and two children from another family. We used to share the school run. And this is two vicar jobs ago when I was in Chipston. We used to have a bit of fun doing the school run. Um, But the girl who was my daughter's friend, I don't know whether she's 26 or 27, had quite a tragic end to her life. And the parents have split up. And the mum's gone back to the States, and we haven't spoken to her. You only just did the school run together. They didn't come to the church, but, but from the States, Patrick, will you take the funeral? The funeral's over here in Golders Green. Of course I will, but I said, well, I can take it as a friend, but I'm not just a friend. I have to take it as a Christian minister. And they were all right with that. And I don't know, any funeral's sad, isn't there? But if it's a talented 26-year-old in the prime of their life, I think that's quite sad, isn't it? So where is God in all of that? Well, I definitely felt his presence in that service, and other people did too. And I suppose I fully expected the lady who asked me to do this to be in touch. This was just before Easter, and she wasn't. But this week, she wrote to me to say thank you. Not surprisingly, duh, she's in complete turmoil. Writing to the vicar who took the service was not number one on her list, but she wrote this week, also with a gift to go towards our youth ministry. And she said to me, she's gone back to the States, and after, I didn't know that this was a thing even for her, after Easter, they found a wonderful church that she's worshipping at. I'm not sure if it's North or South Carolina. I didn't ask them about their doctrine or faith or anything like that. This is, this is God at work in people's lives. The third story is, um, it's been running a couple of weeks, but I did the funeral on Friday. There's a couple, very, very... Um, I don't know, they, they worship at our 11.30 service and they just come almost anonymously. They sit at the back, not a fuss. The guy's dying with cancer. They come in Holy Week. Um, on the Monday, Thursday, we did a bit of prayer and they wanted to be prayed with and they come to be prayed for healing and he was sort of on death's door and, We pray and it feels like God's ministering. But you just heard what I already said. I did the funeral on Friday. But what was amazing about this man, and we're just thinking about boundaries and barriers and things, is um, his faith in Jesus was extraordinary. If I was to tell you that he was born a Muslim, if I was to tell you that he had a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ that challenged him, not immediately, because he went off to university. Like, you see, this, this happens maybe to some people, not to me. Have a revelation of Jesus. Wow, you'd think that would change something straight away. But it didn't change something straight away. He went off to uni, um, probably was more interested, his wife says, in politics than in faith. But he and his wife, and she was in church this morning, both from Muslim backgrounds, um, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ It's some years ago but such faith extraordinary faith I was invited a few weeks ago and before I was off for a couple of weeks it was my only opportunity to go around and take communion to this, um, this family and I go and the room's quite full and they're playing worship songs So he's getting ready for heaven, basically. They might not be the worship songs that we like to sing in heaven, but boy, oh boy, the angels are going to be singing worship and this guy was getting ready for that. He was awake long enough to have the conversation and be involved. Um, In this sacred moment of sharing communion together, and there was a lot of other people in the room, I think some probably from a Muslim background. You know what? I didn't check their credentials on the way. We did the family meal, and they were invited if they wanted to. During that time, two people came through the door, the carers. One of them thought it was okay for him to participate in this sacred moment too. It made a difference. People were aware of God's presence, and this man, Zach went to God, completely surrendered. And he said, echoing the words, I think of St. Paul, but he wanted to be healed and be around his family, but better to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've chucked a lot of stuff at you this evening. I think Richard and Ollie will have some ways of um, application. But I I just want to, Suggest to all of us that um, I said this at the no, the um service um, about wine skins. Sometimes, the wine skins, the containers of the Holy Spirit, are a little bit brittle and a little bit hard. Would you dare to ask and risk God softening that up in you this evening a little bit? Because you've got far more to pour into your life than you could possibly imagine. And then the outflowing of that. Would we be a little bit more careful about where we restricted the flow to? A God-directed flow will include far more people than we imagine. So help us, God.